Anyway, well, good morning. My name's Kyle. If you're visiting with us, I'm, I'm the lead pastor here, and just want to say thank you, as Alan did earlier, for visiting with us today. Uh, we're currently in a series walking through the book of John, or the Gospel of John. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 8. While you're doing that, I want to just extend uh, my thanks, my gratitude also to everyone who was able. I know some of you just weren't able to come yesterday, that's fine. Uh, there's more opportunities coming, uh, but some all of you who were able yesterday to come out and work, thank you so much. Uh, a lot was done, uh, and if you walk in there, it may not feel like it, but if you'd walked in there a week ago, I promise you, it would, uh, it, you'd notice the difference. So uh, just as a word on that, Wednesday night, we're going to be here at 6 for anybody who's able, and uh, we're going to be moving everything that you see in here has to go to the new facility. So uh, lots of lots of backs, lots of people would be great. Uh, show up Wednesday night at 6. And then next Saturday, starting at 8 in the morning, we will be at the new facility. And the whole day, whatever time you can give, um, will be dedicated to getting that ready for Sunday morning. Uh, so there's still a lot to be done. We'll have teams working throughout the week. So if you say, man, I've got some time. Can't come the weekend, but i got time this week. Just get with Jasper or I, and we'll put you to work. Amen? Thank you guys so much. Seriously, we need all of you. It's, it's going to be a marathon. There's part of this that's going to be a little bit of a sprint. Uh, and after that, it'll just be a marathon. We'll do things as they come. I tried to talk to you all a little about that last week, about we're just going to pace ourselves. There's, it does feel like an old church, and so we're going to change things over time. And and so just y'all be patient. It's coming. All right? Thank you, guys. So, walking through the book of John, uh, we've got one mission in mind here. We, we looked at uh, John chapter 20. John gives us the purpose of the book. He says that I've written these things to you so that you may see Jesus and see that He is the Son of God, that He's the Messiah, and that having seen Him, you will find life in his name. So the mission every week that we open up John is the same. So if you're visiting with us today, you're like, man, there are eight chapters in. I've missed all that. We have a podcast. You're welcome to go listen to all like 57 sermons that are there or however long it is. And uh, But this is the mission each week that we're coming to John and we're saying, how can we encounter Jesus today in this text? And then what does that mean for our lives? How does that change who we are? Amen. We want to find life in his name. And uh, so the, the, it's really no different today. Last week, we looked at the text where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And we talked about what that means. And then he gets into this discourse or kind of this, not, this, this argument with the Pharisees. And then at the end of all that, we see in verse 30 there of chapter 8, it says, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed in him. And so we see that even in the midst of all that chaos, there were people who were paying attention to what Jesus was saying and they were taking it to heart and saying, I need to consider these things. I need to think on these things. And they begin to believe Him. So in our text today, what happens is, is Jesus transitions from this conversation to the, with the Pharisees to now He wants to talk to those who, who have just made it known or that he, he knew just inwardly that they believed in Him. And he's going to talk about what it means to be a true disciple. This is really good for us. Today is a good 
message for all of us. And in doing so, in bringing this up, what he does is he unearths this tendency that all humanity has. And we're all guilty of this. We're all, we're all waging war against this. It's this tendency towards self-justification. That, that I can justify myself before a holy, perfect God. We, we all think this. Whether we're admit, admittingly saying it or not, we're all thinking that I can justify myself. So if you talk about a, an atheist, an atheist thinks that they're justified in who they are. They're just putting all their faith in themselves. To me, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Because you're putting all your faith in you, and if you really know you, you know that's a bad bet, right? That's not a good idea. Now, the same is true for any other way of religion, any other anything. They're all about you. They're all man-centered. All of the religions are man-centered. Christianity stands alone as the one religion which takes the focus off of you in the sense that it says you are not good enough, and it puts it on a perfect son of God because he was the only one who could be good enough for us. So it's anti-religion. But what happens is, is man being who we are, we tend towards this idea of self-justification. We take what God meant, which is that we would believe in His Son, believe that He's the Son of God, that He's our Savior. We take that, and then we begin to add all of these traditionalisms or religious practices to these things, and we make them, we take them from God-centered to man-centered all over again, right? It's because this is who we tend towards, or this is what we trend towards. So, um, so I say that it's a human tendency because I, I do think we're all prone to it. I think in all of life, you see selfishness. You see us trusting in ourselves. And so as we think about that for a moment, let me just pray for us today and ask that the Holy Spirit teach us something today because, man, we need some help. Amen? Father, we come before you today as needy, desperately needy children, dependent upon a perfect, a, a good, a, a righteous, heavenly Father. So Lord, as we open your word today, would you speak to us? Would you use your spirit to ignite us from the inside out, Lord, that, that we not be uh, that, that we be transformed in our inner being so that we live according to the things that Jesus teaches, not that we're trying to modify behavior according to what He teaches. God, help us to be transformed in our inner being, the very core of who we are today. That we leave this place forever changed, that we encounter Your Son today in this text, and that having done so, we find life in Him. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So let, let me just let me back up in history for a moment and just kind of further explain, because I want us to all be on the same page as we get ready to move forward in this. The, the text, the point of the text is really quite short today, but there's some groundwork that needs to be done. There's a foundation that needs to be laid, and I'm pretty sure that we're all there, uh, but I just want to make sure. So if you think back to Genesis chapter 2, if you're uh, aware of the fall and of human history and what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, what you see in Genesis chapter 2 is that when God had created the man, He saw that it was unfit for the man to be alone and that He needed a helper for him. So God creates 
Eve. And when Eve comes into sight, I just love the text there. Adam just exclaims out. It's actually the first song in the Bible. He, he just cries out, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And what he's saying is, is this woman is for me. God, you have given me this woman. What you have there is you have the first marriage. You have man and woman coming together as husband and wife for the very first time. And, and what we see is that the woman, which comes together with the man there, was who God created for the man. And so I think it's a good word for our marriages too, that when you are married, the person you are married to is who God intended for you to be married to. That what God brought together, let no man put asunder. Amen? And so then you move forward from there, and what you see is this beautiful phrase, and we can't fully understand it because we're on this side of the fall, but you see this phrase, that they were naked and unashamed. Now we hear that and we just think nudity. We think nakedness. And immediately, our sin gets in the way of fully understanding what it would mean to even be naked and unashamed. Like, I just don't think we can fully comprehend that. But we see that the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. What it is, is it's a perfect picture of innocent delight. That you're innocently delightful. It's this perpetual state of, of, of just bliss, of peace, of no shame. No need to cover up, no need to hide a thing about who you are. Just innocent and, and, and full of delight, full of joy. This is the way God intended for us to live. This is who He wanted us to be. Now, now don't check out, because I'm not going to say that we should start roaming around naked and unashamed. We're not capable of this. So keep your clothes on, all right? We're not going to do this. It's not happening. I, I just believe that such innocence and delight, it, it can't be known this side of heaven. All this will be restored one day. But then in Genesis 3, everything just kind of goes off the tracks. You, you have Eve... And she's in the garden, and her husband's with her, it says. And they're approached by this serpent who is the devil, and he tempts them with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, that was the one tree that they were told they could not eat it from. They're placed in this perfect garden where animals don't eat animals, where everything is at your fingertips. And there's one tree there which God says, do not touch, do not eat of it, lest you die. But everything else is, have at it, guys. Enjoy yourselves. Roam. Be fruitful and multiply. Praise God. And, and Satan comes along and he says, did God really say? Did God really say that you shouldn't do that? And Eve has to kind of correct him. She's like, no. And he's like, Satan's like, ah. God doesn't really mean that. God's trying to keep you from something. And so Eve takes the fruit and she takes a bite and she gives it to her husband. And he takes a bite. And then you read there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, immediately after the bite, it says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Now, innocent delight is gone just like that. At the disobedience of, of God's command, the whole world is fractured. All of creation, including who we are, is fractured. That's right. 
And, and so eating the fruit transforms the couple, yes, but, but not in a good way. Because now what happens is they're ashamed of their nakedness and so they attempt to clothe themselves. They're then conscience, you read there, that, that they can hear the Lord walking in the cool of the day and it says that they hid themselves from Him. And then when they're confronted by God about the fruit and the tree, Adam blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent. And what you have is self-justification taking place in the garden right there. Trying to make ourselves look better in front of God. Trying to hide the blemishes, hide who we are. Now some of you are like, man, what's the big deal? They're just naked. You know, and that's probably just the men in here, right? If we're honest. Men and women are they are just different in so many ways, especially when it comes to how we look. Like a, a woman hops out of the shower, she sees herself in the mirror, and she just immediately starts thinking about all the things that need fixing. Like, i got to do my nails, I need to fix my hair, I need to put my makeup on, maybe start Googling, like, what kind of surgeries are available today? Let me check in on that. And, 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 and then, but a man, he steps out of the shower, and he sees himself in the mirror, and it's not like, a, it's not like you see, and then you, you just walk, it's like you see, and you're like, man, I mean, you can have skin going everywhere, you can have hair going everywhere, you got no muscles to be seen, but you're going to pause in front of the mirror and be like, I got, I got some guns, all right? I mean, even me, I'm like Arnold Schwarzenegger in front of the mirror, I'm like, dang, where'd that come from, you know? And, and you'll look in the mirror and you'll notice a hair and you'll be like, honey, I got this new hair coming out of my back. Oh, wait, there's, there's one in my ear too that matches. I mean, we're, men are just gross, but we're proud of it, you know? It's just so much different than women. Like, I can be ready in 30 minutes, 20 minutes, and, and, and it's just not that way for ladies, right? And I'll be proud of how I look when I walk out the door, looking all crazy and stuff. So, anyway, it's a sidetrack. That's not the kind of a shame that's in mind here. It's not this being ashamed of your naked body that's in mind here. Now, that, no, we have that now as a part of the fall. But, that, but that's not what, what they're after. The couple has sinned and they're aware of it. They're, they're laid naked now before their own eyes because they know good and evil. And they see themselves fully. And now they're ashamed. They're like, oh my goodness, i got to cover this up. I need, is that God? I need to go hide behind those bushes. I, I can't let him see me like this. It's not that they were naked, it's that they had sinned and they were aware of their sinfulness. You see, there's a difference there. The awareness of their sin made them ashamed. They try to hide their nakedness, they try to hide it from God, and then they, they try to hide, they just keep going. Like, it, aren't we so good at this? You watch your kids, the, they just dig the lies. Like, the lies get deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like, no, I, it's not me, I'm not naked. Oh, wait, it's her fault. And she's like, no, it's not her fault. It's his fault. I got three kids now, so I'm starting to understand that, right? And, man, we're just, it's this vicious cycle of self justification. It's, and it plagues us today. The, the truth that I want you to know today is this that because you are a slave to sin, as our text will show us in a moment. 
because you are a slave to sin, you are prone to self-justify all the time. You're always going to be prone to cover it up, to make it look better for the world. And I just want you to know that there is a far better way available to you today. Far better, far greater, far more freeing, mind you. Jesus has come to set us free from being slaves to sin. Now, now slave is one of those words we don't use a lot today, right? Rightfully so. But when you talk about being a slave to sin, that is a huge deal. That means you are literally bound to a sin nature, needing something to set you free. Needing something to release you from that captivity. And this is what Jesus says He came to do. This is His message to Nicodemus in John 3. It's that the, the Son has come, that as you believe in Him, you can have eternal life, but if you don't believe in Him, you'll, you'll die forever. Like it's, it's forever death. Never to experience life. And then he says that we're condemning ourselves because the light has been revealed to us. And if you don't run to the light, you run away from the light back to the darkness. You're, you're, you're reaping judgment on yourself. You're avoiding the thing that's come to set you free. It's like being trapped in a pitch black room. That's what, that's what terrifies me. Just being in a pitch black box. Can't, there's no handles on the wall. There's no way out of the room that you can see because you can't see. And then somebody shines a light on the door for you makes it available to you, makes it to where you can see it, and yet you're like, no, I'd prefer to just stay in the dark room. Just leave me here in this captivity. I don't think any of us are doing that. Yet the sun shines on our darkness, our sinfulness, and we run to sinfulness because we love it more? Lord, have mercy on us. So Jesus has come to set us free, but we first, we, we, we must receive Him. We must believe in Him. Remember John 1, 12 through 13, all those weeks ago, He says, but to all, John, John's writing there, He says, but to all who did receive Him, the ones who did believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And He says that they were born not of blood, not of the will of man, not of the will of the flesh, but of God. So it's God who causes this rebirth in us. It's God who saves us. It's not your human will. It's not going to be your own flesh. It's not going to be your birthright, which none of us can lay claim to anyway, because I don't, I don't think anyone in here is Jewish. But, but even Jews aren't getting in just because they're Jewish. We'll get to that in a moment. So, John 8, 31 through 59. Let me read to you. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, this is key, and if you like underlining in your Bible, I would underline this one. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They don't even know they're in captivity. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices Sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, 
but the Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He says, I know that you are an offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Now, now remember, he's speaking to the ones who had just believed. They have not yet made it clear that they're the ones who want to kill him yet. That happens at the end of this text. But he knows their heart. And often when the human flesh, who we are inside, encounters perfection, we say we need to kill that. Because we can't have anything being better than who we are. How do we self-justify if there's something better than us? So he knows where they're headed. He knows where this conversation goes. He says, I speak of what I've seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but, you, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You see, Abraham, it says, was counted righteous because of his faith, not because he was Abraham. He said it was his faith that justified him before God. This is what Jesus is getting after here. It's not your birthright. It'll be faith that makes you a part of the family. He says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. That's a really interesting phrase. We're going to come back to it. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I come from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Wow, that escalated quickly. But he's right. He says, and your will is to do your father's desires. He says, you're, you are workers of iniquity. You're workers of lawlessness. You're children of Satan. Just as we read about all of ourselves in Ephesians chapter 2, and he says, you are children of the devil before Christ. He says, he, talking about Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. All right, so guys, what that means is that anything outside of what the Scripture teaches, anything that goes against that, is from Satan. So if we follow it, what we're saying is, Satan, you look better to me than the life-giving words of God. I mean, that's really simplifying it, but that's true. This is what the text is showing. This is what Jesus is saying for us. So, came from the I came not of my own cord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You're of your father, the devil. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. That's interesting also. You can underline that. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And the Jews answered him, 
Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Even Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. He's talking about eternal death. He's saying that anybody who abides in Christ will live forever. They'll live eternally. So he's speaking way outside anything they can comprehend right now. He's opening them up to, to hear his work. He's diving into that, just that nastiness in here, and he's revealing it for them. It's a surgery happening right here before our eyes. He says, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And I love that. <laughs> Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. Everybody pay attention. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It appears that Jesus had this ability to just and disappear. That's pretty awesome, right? I, mean, I don't know how else you get out of that crowd. It's a disguise. It's better than Jason Bourne right there. So, back in verse, I think it was 45. Why does Jesus say, you do not believe me? He's saying it because they're refusing to hear him. Not only are they refusing to hear him, they're refusing to abide in him. Not only are they refusing to abide in him, they're wanting to kill him. While, all the while, claiming to be children of Abraham and therefore children of God, thinking they're free from the slavery to sin. But what we know is, is that refusal to believe the words of Jesus is evidence that you are a slave to sin. Right? I'll let that push on you just a little bit. Refusal to believe the words of Jesus is evidence that you are a slave to sin. So this text becomes a painful revelation of our tendency to self-justification. Namely, I think there's two, and I'm going to lay these out for you here in a second. And Jesus is going to dig into the real condition of our hearts, what's behind that self-justification that we make when we're confronted with Jesus' words of, of truth about himself and about us. He wants to dig in. What's causing us to say, I don't think so. What causes us to get angry about it? You ever talk to somebody about Jesus and they just get angrier and angrier? Well, those words push against people. They push against the depths of who people are. It's not that we should provoke people to wrath. I don't think we should just walk around trying to make people angry. But it's hard to hear the truth. And sometimes it takes a while for people to be receptive to that. So I think there's two types of disciples 
in the world. <laughs> there's two types of people, right? The first is there's this false disciple who abides in themselves. Like, like these are the two things we're going to... These are the two things that are pointing. So real quick, I think there's two ways that we try to abide in ourselves. One is... You don't have this in your notes, but you can, you can write it out to the side. Is our religion, our traditions, or whatever you want to call it. Whatever word you like better. Our religion. Here, here's what I, what I see in this text. These people tried to claim their offspring of Abraham as a way to prove that they're not slaves to sin. They're like, no, we're in the family, Jesus. We're in. And he's like, no, you're not. And so when that didn't work, they said, well, we have one Father, even God. To which Jesus responded, if God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. And so the evidence is against you that because you do not receive me, you do not love my Father. And so Jesus is saying that it's not your religion that frees you from sin. It's not going to be the religious tradition, the practices, the, the right things religiously <laughs> that you do that are going to free you from being a slave to sin. It's not those things. I'm not saying those practices are wrong or evil, but that's not what frees you. Okay, We can lean too much on that if we're not careful. And Paul confirms this in Romans 9 where he says, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. You're counted as offspring by faith. And until the Son sets you free, you are a slave to sin. You are not a child of God. You, you cannot be both. Jesus confirms this back in verse 34 and through 36. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. So what he's saying is there's a time here where you can become a son, but you're not going to get to remain in the house forever as a slave. As a slave to sin, you're going to get tossed out upon your final breath if you die in that sin. You never place your faith in the son, but you can become a child of God by receiving and believing in Jesus Christ. But that's the way you remain in the house forever. He said, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if you want to be a child of God, you must be born again. Meaning that you follow, or meaning that following a religion will not be enough. We must follow Christ, believe in Him in such a way that we're moved inwardly to follow Him, to trust Him with all of our life. So that's a quick word on religion. I think the second thing is, is our morality. This is the one we're most in danger of. I mean, we're looking at an old church building and everybody's like, get rid of all the traditional stuff now, make it go away, you know? And so I know that none of you are very religious people. That's cool, right? <laughs> but what I do know about us is that we're all very easily tempted to stand in our own morality. Like, I'm a good, I'm a good guy. I love the Lord. I love my family. Man, we're in church every Sunday. 
We go to our home group. We're at work days. Praise God. We're joining the worship team. I'm doing all these things. And we'll, we'll attempt to stand in our own morality. We'll attempt to beat our chest, make ourselves look good. Sometimes that means we'll, we'll push other people down so that we can rise to the top of that. So maybe you say, well, I'm not religious. I'm, I'm just a regular dude or, or dudette, right? And I'm trying to be a good person. Well, they, they tried to pull that with Jesus. And this is that phrase in verse 41. It's like, they said, we were not born of sexual immorality. When we're reading that, you're like, where'd that come from? Anybody flip back through eight? Like, did he say they were born of sexual immorality? No, that's not there. Didn't say that at all. Like, that's never mentioned. It's never brought up. Where did that come from? Why say that? No one accused them of being sexual, born of sexual immorality. But here's the big issue. Jesus had a mom who was pregnant before she was married. And so they thought that he was the product of sexual immorality. He grew up around them. Most people knew who he was. He was on the soccer team or, you know, he was better than everybody in carpentry class at school. He was always obedient, you know, he was the, he was the class pet, like, I mean, the teacher's pet. You know what I mean? Like, this is a dude they grew up with. They grew up knowing him. They would have known. The stories would have certainly trickled down. Y'all see Mary? She's pregnant. She's not married to Joseph. No, she's not. We need to pray for her. Right? I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that would have been happening. Lord help us. <laughs> so they're thinking that he's a product of this and what they're doing now is they're elevating themselves. They're putting their own throne of morality up here and they're saying, we're going to plop down right here, Jesus, because our parents were married before we were born, but yours were not. You know what I'm saying? Let us put you down. Let us make ourselves up here. Now, now you talk to us about who's really in the family, Jesus. I mean, you get what's happening here, right? This is a full-fledged argument. You don't pick up a stone to try to kill somebody unless you're mad at them. You don't just do that for fun. Hope not. Lord, help you. So, it's literally, look, Jesus, how can you say that we're not true children when you are an illegitimate child? I think we're guilty of the same thing so often. Even as Christians, we'll, we'll tend towards this like, I want Jesus in this part of my life, but man, I want to keep this piece over here. I want to keep that to myself. You, you know what that is? That's a, that's a lack of integrity, first of all. But, but that's, that's you relying on yourself. That's self-justification. Like, Jesus, I got you here, but over here, I'm going to be good with that. I'm going to make that work. I'm okay. I don't need you. I mean, in fact, 
I know you got better things to do because I saw Lucy the other day and that girl's got problems. Right. You know what I mean? Like that. I don't know that we have these conversations. Maybe some of us do. But, but we live this way. Like we'll exclude Jesus from areas of our life and we'll think, I'm all good there. And then when life comes crashing down in certain areas of our lives, we're like, I don't get it, God. I was doing all that I could to live for you, and this is what you give me. You see what I'm saying? So many times we rely on ourselves. And, and we crush, we're crum- we, it crumbles under the weight of ourselves. We can't bear the load of life. We, we need Christ. You're not going to stand in your own morality. You don't have any morality to stand on. You're immoral. I mean, think about just sexual immorality. I think we can make the statement that every one of us in here is guilty of sexual immorality. I mean, at the very least, lust. At the very most, it could be adultery or homosexuality or all sorts of things. That's just one of the sins that we know about. I mean, there's all sorts of things. We we have no morality to stand in. And so, folks, we must be very careful not to trust in our religion or our morality for salvation. Remember that you're not born by blood. You're, You're not born by the will of the flesh. You're not born by the will of your own mind. You're born of God. It's faith in Him. It's trust in Him that causes this renewal. So, to be born again, let me just lay this out. You must receive Jesus. It's not just that I believe in Him. It's that I believe in Him in such a way that I'm going to place my life on Him. I'm going to trust Him as the one who gave His life for me. That I no longer have to cover up my nakedness, my sin, laid bare before me because I'm now clothed. You know what the first thing, this is God's grace, just so beautiful. You know what one of the first things God does is He's kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden. You know what He does? He makes for them clothes. Now if that's not a foreshadow to Christ being clothed in righteousness from God, I don't know what is. God knows that you're naked and ashamed. He he was there in the beginning. And he's telling you, my son is available to you. I'm I'm giving him to you for you to be clothed in his righteousness because your righteousness is no good. You ruined that. So then what? Well, my final point is this, that true disciples are those who abide in Jesus' Word. So we believe and then we abide. Believe and abide. Believe and abide. Real quick, verse 31. If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If, so you, anybody remember from English if-then statements? All right. You have an if and the then is contingent upon the if, Right? And so what happens is you do the if, 
And you get the then. This is an if-then statement. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So how do we know if we're true? How do we know that we truly love the Lord? It's that we're abiding in Him. But belief is not enough. True disciples abide in Jesus' word. It's, it's when you learn and follow the truth that you are set free from sin. It's not just when you learn about the truth. Many people know about the truth. We talked about them earlier. They just get angry. But you learn it and you follow it. You forsake yourself, you lay yourself down, and you follow it. 1 John 2, 3-6 through says this. I think it's worth reading real quick. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. So how do we know that we've come to know Him? So that we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. So you say, I know Him, but I got this other part of my life. I'm going to keep that over here. Jesus, I know you here, but I don't want to know you here. I know you here. I'm keeping you here. I don't want to know you here. I want to keep doing that. The Bible says you are a liar. You cannot say you love the Lord, yet go on in foolishness. Now, hold on. I'm not preaching perfection, so just wait with me for a second. Okay? We're all sinners, saved by grace, certainly. But hold on. All right, let's keep reading. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So that work that was begun in you is brought to completion. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, do not get it wrong. This is where you go back to I'm religious if you get this wrong, all right? To get it wrong would be to say that obedience to God saves me. Right. It's not what the Word is teaching us today. That, that's called moralism. Faith in Jesus saves you. That's called Christianity. Faith in Jesus alone saves you. You're saved by faith in Christ alone. That's it. Okay? We're not justifying ourselves. But obedience to God as a pattern of life gives evidence that you're born again. That's right. Now again, you've got to be careful there because you start looking at other people and you say, well, maybe he's not born again because he didn't progress as much as I did. That's just not fair. We don't know that. We don't know that for sure. So you can't make those kinds of statements. You can't look at people and make those or have those thoughts or make those statements. To know and follow Jesus involves a relationship that will no doubt transform all of you, including your behavior. Now, true disciples ought to mirror Jesus' faith. They ought to mirror His love, His dedication to to the Father, His obedience to the Father, and certainly His self-sacrifice. We're laying ourselves down for others. By living like Christ, what we see is that we may know that we are in Him. Now John says at the, the latter part of 1 John chapter 2 there, he goes on to say, and now little children abide in Him. So that, this is beautiful, don't miss this, 
This is where everything's set right from the garden, okay? Right here. And now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him at shame in His coming. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful that this is available to you. The confidence in Christ is available to you to where you do not have to shrink away when the perfect comes. But that you can stand confidently in Christ. This is a picture of what was fractured in the Garden of Eden being restored at the second coming of Christ. That people who have placed their faith in Jesus will stand before Christ and they will welcome Him with open arms. If you'll abide in Jesus, you need not shamefully hide yourself from Him because He has set you free from your slavery to sin. Amen? That's it. That's all I got for you. Would you stand to your feet this morning?